This is the Andrew Lake Podcast, and in this episode, we're talking about Howard Gardner and the many forms of intelligence. Gardner is a psychologist who has identified multiple forms of intelligence. So typically, or traditionally, we think intelligence is just this one thing that we have. You measure it by doing your tests at school, or doing your IQ test, or just making a general judgment about someone about how smart they are, how intelligent they are. But Howard Gardner did a lot of research into how people are impressed upon with new information, how they learn new things, the process that they go through in coming into a greater understanding, a greater intelligence. And through this research, he found that there was actually not just one form of intelligence, but multiple forms of intelligence. And this is his contribution to the world of psychology, which is the multiple intelligences, or MI theory. He's a well-established psychologist. You can listen to talks by him, you can read his books. And today I'll be going through some of the basic principles and different forms of intelligence, but I'd also like to take it a bit further and come up with a whole bunch of other forms of intelligence that we might not have thought about before. And also, I'd like to use all these many inventions of intelligence or lateral thinking in terms of intelligence to show that intelligence is just a mechanism that can be applied to anything. And it's a process which can be used to enrich your learning and your experience of something. And it's useful for making way into a deeper experience of reality. So from what I can gather, intelligence has two fundamental pillars. One is the ability to have a clear picture or a clear conceptual understanding of something. And two is to be able to move towards an ideal. This would be the ability to successfully navigate the understanding. Now, we do have to use these two pillars in the broadest sense possible because a clear picture or an understanding is different, it looks different, depending on the kind of intelligence that we're using. So, for example, cognitive intelligence would be a clear picture through the use of words and numbers and solid forms of thought. Whereas aesthetic intelligence wouldn't necessarily be so much entwined into a black and white description of what success is. Rather, it's more intuitive. It's more emotional. And the ability to move towards an ideal is also something that we have to use very broadly because success is 
a term that usually means winning or succeeding or usually means winning or getting the goal or achieving or progressing. And some forms of intelligence don't fall into the category of progress. Their ideal is not so much a dynamic of moving towards something, but more realizing something or accepting something. So when we use these terms to have a clear picture and to move towards success, we really need to open them up into the broadest meaning possible. And I think that will be clear as we go along. So from Howard Gardner, one of the forms of intelligence was the verbal linguistic intelligence that he identified. So he found that students who listened to teachers talk or wrote words on the blackboard or students that read in books learnt things very well if they had a high degree of verbal linguistic intelligence. And they could pick up things, pick up information through that medium of words and the way they thought about things was with words. These would be people who are more articulate, better with their grammar and spelling and so forth. But that's one of the main pillars of intelligence, which is verbal linguistic. There's also mathematical, logical intelligence. So this is the world of numbers, formulas, and processes. So the ability to conceptualize things in tangible thought through mathematics is mathematical intelligence. And the verbal and the mathematical both are subsets of this cognitive intelligence, which we've spoken about before. But the mechanics of your thought or the cogs of your thought and the ability to cognize or create cogs in your mind, metaphorically speaking, is your ability to have cognitive intelligence. Another form of intelligence is the visual spatial intelligence. So this is the ability to understand depth of perception, depth of field, the volume of a object or a movement of an object. And this is linked to bodily kinesthetic information. So this is how you feel in your body. This is how you move your body, your flexibility, your strength, your experience of moving in your body. So these two are more abstract, more experiential, and you see them most prominently in sports players. So a sports star doesn't read books about how to play sport. They're not doing maths equations on how to do sport. They're out there doing the motions. They're doing the repetitive actions to ingrain an understanding which is experiential, which is the interplay between their body and an environment. Someone with a higher degree of visual spatial intelligence can focus their attention on a ball as it's traveling through the air and catch it or kick it or manipulate it in any which way they want to, to a high degree. Kinesthetic information is an interesting one because it's got nothing really to do with cognition, although there is a cognition that goes along with it. And one example that comes to mind is the racing car drivers who report having a expanded sense of kinesthetic information when they 
enter into these deep peak experiences and these peak performances. So these guys are traveling so fast around a racetrack for hours on end and their body merges with the car. So this is common in a lot of sports and a lot of activities where you feel like you become one with the object that you are manipulating. And that's the expansion of your kinesthetic field. So normally, we feel that our body starts here and ends here. Our arm is here, our arm is there. That depends on the feedback that you get from how you're moving your arm and how it interacts with the environment. These racing car drivers are entering into such deep flow states that they can feel the wheels of the car on the road and they've known that road so well that they can actually touch the road in an abstract sort of sense. So these racing car drivers and all sports stars have a high degree of visual spatial and bodily kinesthetic intelligence. Another form of intelligence that Howard Gardner identified is musical intelligence. So this is the ability to organize sound through musical instruments. And perhaps musical intelligence is one that bridges a few other forms of intelligence because it requires at least some sort of cognition and some sort of bodily functioning to create music. It also takes an aesthetic intelligence to be able to compose music. So we can divide down musicians into composers and performers and those that can understand it and those that can create it and those that can manipulate sounds. So there's all these subcategories that we can divide out within these forms of intelligence. But musical intelligence is identified as one on its own because it has a set of parameters that are distinctly different to the other forms of intelligence. Another form of intelligence that Howard Gardner put forward was the intrapersonal intelligence. He also had the interpersonal intelligence. So the intrapersonal intelligence is the feelings, the attitudes, empathy, and the ability to have the same emotional experience as someone else through your perception in a one-on-one interaction with them. The interpersonal is the ability to interact through words and collaboration and cooperation to get an outcome. So that would mean that you are acting in a certain way in accordance with someone for an ideal, rather than just having the ability to take on the feeling that they have. So these kinds of intelligence, the intrapersonal and the interpersonal, are very different because they're more about human interaction which is a completely different complexion to cognition or visual-spatial intelligence or musical intelligence or mathematical intelligence. So how you navigate your space with other people is a thing unto itself. And an ideal in that situation really depends on what the ideal of an interaction is. We can speak most broadly and say we want to have positive outcomes for our interactions. Or we could say that we want to have a productive outcome for an interaction. Or we can have an interaction which ends with more information being shared than it was previously shared before the interaction. 
So if these are some of the guiding principles that we use to have our conversations with people, then that can be a good starting point. But of course, these are complicated things and every situation is going to be different. Howard Gardner also put forward the naturalist intelligence. So this is the ability to look at nature, to observe things scientifically, to classify things, to put things into categories, to put things into hierarchies, and to appreciate the creation of something that is non-human. So the ability to enter into nature, sort of how, like, I guess Charles Darwin did. How are you, Charles Darwin? How are you, Charles, doing? He would have had a high degree of naturalist intelligence to be able to make a scientific bridge between his experience of nature and the academic world. Another form of intelligence that Howard Gardner put forth, although I think this one is a bit less tested than his others, is existential intelligence. So this would be the ability to hold a grand summary of your existence within your mind. This is the comfort that comes from summarizing the totality of your place in time and space. Some people are better than that than others. Some people have more complicated ways of going about that than others. And some people have more success depending on what the ideal of that looks like. So existential intelligence is knowing what you are in the grandest, broadest sense. So when I'm asking you questions like, sum up your life in one word, or sum up the world in one word, or what is emotion in one word, or how big is the universe, can you say it in a few words? Then these sort of questions are getting at your existential intelligence. And there's a whole literature on this, there's a whole history to this. So human beings have had existential intelligence as distinctly different from all their other forms of intelligence. So the main categories of intelligence really come from the way in which people learn. So you can see that some people learn these things by interacting with an environment. Some of them learn them by being visual and having pictures which are more poetic. Others like feelings, others like words, others like black and, wh black and white sort of maths. And depending on how you're prone to picking up information determines how you're going to be moving into these forms of intelligence. I think initially, the first intuition that people have when they hear about multiple intelligences is that they say, well, okay, so there's multiple forms of intelligence, and I'm good at some and I'm bad at others, and that's just how I am. That's just what is in me. That's what I have. I think this is a naive approach because we really want to be asking ourselves, how far do we take this and what are the ultimate implications? The answer to that is, we want to take it as far as it can go and we want to have the deepest implications possible. When we embark on a process of understanding our intelligences and perhaps maybe in some cases improving our intelligence, 
We want to be working on all of them. We want to be working on our cognition, on our aesthetic intelligence, on our personal relationships. We don't want to cut ourselves short. We want to really be going at expanding all avenues of where we are at. So you can just ask yourself, what is the ideal of each of these things? What is your ideal cognition? What is your ideal sense of feeling? What is your ideal sense of kinesthetic information? What are your ideal interactions with people? What would you say if you were asked that? And what, would, what do you think you are living up to at this time? So when you have these understandings and you go into each of these situations, do it intelligently. And breaking it down into these smaller chunks and knowing that there's a different set of parameters and a different ideal for each approach or each situation that you're taking helps you understand how to be more intelligent. So broadly speaking, there are analytic, introspective, and interactive forms of learning. So the analytic is bridging the information in the external world to the understanding in your mind. Introspective is learning how it is that you are wired in such a way as to make the understanding of the external world appear in your mind. And interactive is through action. It's through testing an action and listening to the feedback of what happens when you do that action and then moving on from there depending on the feedback. We can then divide analytic, introspective and interactive down into even smaller ones, which might be visual, verbal, audio, hands-on, mathematical, experiential, emotional, and so on and so forth. Depending on how much detail you want to go to, how much of an intellect or sharpness with your cognition you want to go to. So I'd like us to continue on in our conversation with forms of intelligence. Some of these you might not have thought of, and some of these are explored by people other than Howard Gardner, as they've taken it further than Howard Gardner. But keep an ear out for some of these that you might be more interested in. One would be moral intelligence. So this is your community intelligence, both in your local community and your global community, which is what should you do to act in the appropriate way? Now, this depends on how much information you have and how much of an understanding your impact on the world you have. So moral intelligence is concerned with the right and the wrong. And there are other psychologists such as Gilligan or Lovinger or whoever else you want to use who have spent their own amount of time working just on moral intelligence. There's also military and strategy intelligence. So this is similar to game intelligence, which is learning how to predict and plan a sequence of events. So this would be coming up in sports for your sports coach, and this would be on the battlefield of any war. So these things act in their own ways. So to have game intelligence, you need to 
be able to look at data differently and infer the appropriate course of action to move towards an ideal. So you do need to know what the ideal is. In the game of sports, of course, it's winning the game or in the game of war, it's defeating the enemy. So having a strong ideal and having enough data to know how to get there and then processing the information into a strategy which is successful is game intelligence or military intelligence. There's also emotional intelligence. This is a buzzword of the day in self-help and personal development circles. Everyone loves to talk about emotional intelligence. This one, I really, really prefer to say emotional virtuosity because emotional intelligence is a term that sounds a bit like you want to be smart about your emotions, you want to be smug about it, or you want to be in control of them. So advanced emotional intelligence actually goes beyond emotional mastery. It goes into more like emotional acceptance, emotional elasticity, and emotional virtuosity. So virtuosity is a word that comes from the music world, And you use this term virtuoso for someone who can play any style of music and they can play it at any speed, in any key, upside down, inside out. So emotional intelligence or emotional virtuosity would be someone who can feel any emotion. Now that includes all the bad ones. So that's a very different picture to emotional mastery where on the surface you might say, oh, I just want to reject all my bad emotions and keep all my good emotions. So that's a little bit of a dissection on emotional intelligence that I've been able to come up with. But of course, my dissection is based on my ideal and my strategies and my processes and my data. So my emotional intelligence is really still within the framework of what we call intelligence. We also have spiritual intelligence. So this would be bridging your kinesthetic intelligence and your existential intelligence. So spirituality is a big one in and of itself, and we can spend all day talking about that. But in a nutshell, your experience of reality is your spiritual intelligence. And that's very big, large, broad categories of understanding brought down into the here and now actual experience of your sensory perception, smell, taste, touch, feeling, thought, emotion, and all the rest of it. And there are processes to spiritual intelligence just like there are any other. And some people are more intelligent than others, depending on how they've made progress into that line of development. We've also got financial intelligence. So there's a lot of information about financial intelligence these days, because it's so well documented, and it's quite easy to put into black and white terms. Money works in a way which is unique to itself. It doesn't work the same way as a military strategy. It doesn't work the same way as a conversation or a one-on-one person interaction. It also doesn't act in the same way as music. So it makes sense to me why we have financial intelligence in a thing and of itself. 
Now, someone who knows that there is this thing called financial intelligence is always going to be so much further beyond the capabilities of someone who has no idea about it at all. Because there are principles in financial intelligence which are so simple, so easy, and yet they make the whole world of difference. So becoming conscious of a kind of intelligence, such as financial intelligence, really puts you ahead of the game in some regards. Of course, the flip side is that once you learn about financial intelligence and you get into that world, you start to see how much there is to learn and how much there is to do and how deep that information goes and that intelligence goes. So depending on how far you want to walk that path, financial intelligence can get you real hardcore cash-in-the-bank, cash-in-hand results. And of course, that would be your ideal. Financial intelligence is your dollar figure amount in the bank. So it's a very well-documented form of intelligence because it's so black and white. Another form of intelligence would be intimate intelligence or sexual intelligence. So the way sex and intimacy works is different again to your intrapersonal intelligence. So if we ask ourselves, what are the parameters of sex? What is the ins and outs, the nuts and the bolts of what we can change. There could be intensity, length of time, time of day, frequency, set and setting, variety, and all sorts of other forms of psychology that we can bring into it. And let's ask ourselves, well, what's the ideal sex? What's the ideal intimate situation? Why are we playing out this game of sex? What is the ultimate achievement that we're looking for? So it's quite interesting to learn that sex is just a form of intelligence. And you can go at it with an intellect of a mind, but how that looks is not like an academic sitting in a library with a whole bunch of books. So when we think of intelligence, we sort of think books and tests and papers and numbers and It's the end of the year and we're doing our exams. So it's quite boring. It's quite dry. But if you think that there's an actual thing called sexual intelligence, well, (laughs) now we can get a little bit more fun about intelligence. We can get a little bit more spice back to it. And if you really embrace this idea of saying, well, how do we get more out of this? Then you can say overtly that I'm trying to develop my sexual intelligence. Just like how learning a little bit about financial intelligence puts you ahead of the game, the same goes for sexual intelligence. So we also have research intelligence. I think Howard Gardner would have been very high in research intelligence because he knew how to draw out information and distill it into a well-polished model. But research is one of those ones which is definitely in and of itself, because you need to find which book to read and which quote to use from the correct book. And also, sometimes the information you need isn't in a book. You might have to do a test. You might have to do an experiment. And other times, you might have to actually go and get interviews from people. And those interviews might not be readily available. You might have to travel to a different country. You might have to find someone from a different culture. 
So research intelligence has its own parameters. We also have teaching intelligence. So what Howard Gardner found was that when a child was telling someone how to do something, which is what he got them to do, he'd get a child to say, can you explain this to someone? He found that the child in question would explain it differently depending on who they were explaining it to. So for a younger child, the teacher child would go into a lot more detail. For an older child, the teacher child would understand that, well, they're older, they've probably got more experience, so I'll just give them a rough outline and away they go. So teaching intelligence is a thing in and of itself. And I think I'd like to add to that the maturity of knowing when and where and how and with who to share information. And this is something that I really struggled with recently. This has been a massive thorn in my side. And I really need to just focus on this teaching intelligence because I'm up here on the mic saying my say. And it's an endless tightrope walk to say, well, how do I explain it without explaining down to someone And how do I explain it clearly enough for someone? So at the end of the day, I think I just have to be comfortable in saying things in the way that they make sense to me and hoping that people will somehow resonate with it and the people that don't understand will stop listening and the people that do will keep listening. But I do want to have some sort of midway, some sort of bridge between it. So that's teaching intelligence and I take an approach to that which is totally different to all other forms of intelligence. So we can also have experiential intelligence. So this would be somewhere between spiritual intelligence and kinesthetic intelligence. So maybe it would be the ability to savor the taste, the ability to be present with the sight, the ability to smell it and enjoy it just for the smell of the perfume or the flower. So that would be experiential intelligence, which I would probably put somewhere between spiritual intelligence and kinesthetic intelligence. We also have methodological intelligence or method intelligence. So some things happen within a process. They happen as a dynamic formula, as a checklist, a before has to happen before the middle, which has to have an after. So the process of things is method intelligence. Some things in understanding can be like a photograph. You hit the click button and you have a snap picture of exactly how and where everything is. Other forms of intelligence or understanding have to be more like a film. And you're not going to have an understanding of what's trying to be expressed if you only get one photo from that film. You have to have two photos together. So there has to be a completeness of the film. You have to watch all of the film. And so that would be method intelligence. And now we get a little bit more abstract. This is where we start to go meta. So how about for this one? This will be an interesting one. Intelligence, intelligence. 
So what is the intelligent way to be intelligent? Well, if we look at our pillars of intelligence, which is the ability to have a clear picture and the ability to move towards an ideal, what can we say is intelligent intelligent? Well, we're being quite intellectual by breaking intelligence into 20 or so different things and then having subcategories of them. But what is the ideal of intelligence? What's the point of intelligence, really? Why would we even care to be intelligent? Have we asked ourselves that? And, well, whatever comes to mind is where your ideal is developed to. But I think for myself, we can say moving into a greater experience of reality is the ideal of intelligence. And we can use intelligence only as one mechanism within a whole web of mechanisms in order to do that. So keep intelligence in its place without reducing it and without over-expanding it to make it all things. And like all mechanisms, it has its limits and we need to understand it within a larger context. But having an idea of intelligence intelligence will help with that. And this we might call grand intelligence. So what is the intelligence that's beyond intelligence? Now this might sound similar to existential intelligence, but it's a little bit different because it encompasses all forms of intelligence, including intelligence intelligence. So grand intelligence would be how you answer the question, why would you ask... How do we move into a greater experience of reality? Maybe we don't want to move into a greater experience of reality. Maybe the whole idea of moving towards something is a wrong way of going about having a greater experience of reality. So when we get meta and we go so far out in our Zoom, it might sound a bit like we're chasing our tail or we're the bottomless pit or the circular reasoning, but the ability, remember, to hold large pictures in our mind is part of our existential intelligence. So grand intelligence would be how do we tie our existential intelligence with all other forms of intelligence and understand the process of intelligence and keep intelligence within a larger perspective without reducing it. So the practical takeaway homework is whenever you're in a situation, remind yourself, what's the ideal of this situation? What do I want to get out of this situation? Now, you can do this while you're in the situation, or if you really want to go the step further, you can set aside time to compartmentalize your life and say, well, I've got my work, my relationships, my goals and my hobbies. And I'll say, what are my ideals for each of those things? And how do I cognize and strategize to move towards that ideal? But just doing it in real time can be quite interesting. So you just say, what's the most intelligent thing to do here? That's really all you have to ask throughout your day. Just remember, it doesn't take any extra time. You just have to remember to do it. You just have to remember to say, 
what is the most intelligent thing to do right now? And you can ask yourself right now, what is the most intelligent thing to do right now? Maybe we can create a intelligence for consumption. What is intelligent consumption? What is the ideal of consumption? Not just for our food, but for our, for our information. So you can see that I can just create forms of intelligence by coming up with different environments, by understanding that this, these pillars of having a clear picture and moving towards an ideal are the pillars of intelligence. So I hope these parameters, these questions, have been insightful enough for you to know what intelligence is and to use it. Thanks very much for tuning in, and we'll be back soon with more. I hope you have an intelligent day.